I had intended to bring something else, but this is what the Lord has laid on my heart to remind you of again. I ask you to turn to Joshua chapter 23 for an opening verse of Scripture. Joshua 23. I want us to ask a question of ourselves, and I'm going to be asking it of you, and I'm going to be asking it of myself. How much do you love God? It's very measurable. It's not hidden. It shows itself. We know it about ourselves, and we know it about one another, depending on how well we keep God's commandments, what level of zeal we show toward Him and His worship, how willing we're able to be corrected, to humble ourselves, to confess our sins, and to seek His face. How much delight we have in His Word, how much delight we have in His people, how much we want to serve them and be around them, how little the world has in the way of attraction to us. There's, there's all these ways, and I've preached them before, and you're going to hear some of them again today. But I want us to examine our hearts, because a large part of our religion is heart examination. It's self-examination. Because the Lord has left us here with a flesh nature in our bodies. And that flesh nature loves sin and loves the world and gets its priorities all mixed up. Therefore, we have to examine ourselves and make prayers like Psalm 139, where the psalmist prayed, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That is a prayer of self-examination. It's asking the Lord to help expose whatever is wrong inside us, that we might make it right. And what we want to make right today is that we go from this place convicted to love God more. That's simple enough. But Father, we cannot do this without the grace and power of Your Spirit. I thank Thee for Thy Word, which speaks plainly to us. But I pray that You will send Your Spirit to accompany that Word, that it will bear fruit in our lives, as my brother has just prayed. O Lord, stir us up in our minds, in our hearts, that we will remember our God and His great works, our God and His great salvation of us vile sinners. And that we will lift up ourselves and rejoice that we are loved by the God of heaven and that we will return that love as much as we are able. That we will come behind no man found in the pages of Scripture or that we encounter in this world. Oh Lord God, help us now. We need Your help. We depend upon Thee to bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Joshua chapter 23 and verse 11. Joshua addressed the church of God of the Old Testament and said, Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves. This is self-examination. Take good heed. Examine yourself. Look at yourself. Think about your life. Examine your life. Question the things that you do. Question your heart. Take good heed. Not just any heed. Not quick heed. Not foolish heed. Not superficial heed. But take good heed. Therefore unto yourselves that ye love the Lord your God. Because this chapter of Joshua 23 and 24, these two chapters at the end of Joshua's life, Joshua has seen 40 years in the wilderness, a number of years leading Israel in the land of Canaan. He has seen the benefit when the people of God love God. And he has seen the consequences when the people of God lose their love of God. And the consequences are horrible and the blessings are great. And so he says, therefore, in the middle of this verse, Take good heed, therefore, brethren, I want each of you. I've had to go through it leading up to this. I'm doing it now, and I'm going to be doing it. Let's take good heed to ourselves, 
that we love the Lord our God and that we love Him more than we ever have before. Because if we love Him less than we have before, you already know the condemnation that Scripture lays on us. We have lost our first love. If we love Him less than others, we must ask ourselves why. Why do we love Him less than others? Have we been forgiven less than they? Are they more faithful and diligent in their spiritual exercises than we? The answers to both questions condemn us. So we must ask ourselves, how much do we love God? Because we want to love Him more. And Father, we want to love You more. And bless us now as we consider Thy precious Word. For the last six sermons I've preached to you about the knowledge of God and His ways and His Word. And it's a great gift for us to know God, know the God of the Bible, and to know how the Bible is written and to know how God reveals truth to some and conceals it from others. But our character is not known by our knowledge. It's known by our affection for God. First Corinthians 8 would put it this way. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but hear it. First Corinthians 8 would say, Knowledge puffeth up. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know it. And then it says this, If any man love God, the same is known of God. The love of God is greater than the knowledge of God. Basking in knowledge tends to puff us up. But loving that relationship with God is greater. If any man love God, the same is known of him. It's better to be known of God than to know God. Because to be known of God is for him to accept you, to approve you, yea, to love you. And if any man love God, the same is known of God. He'll be loved by God. There'll be many that will say they knew him. There'll be many that will be puffed up in that day of judgment to be dashed by the Lord Jesus Christ. I never knew you. But if we love God, we are known of Him. That is the important thing, our relationship with our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is a frightening range. There is a frightening range in the love of God by those who profess to be Christians. It's frightening. Some, you know it. You see it. The zeal comes through them. You hear it in their words. You see it in their lives. You see it in their distaste of the world and their love of Christ and His things. And then there are others. There is no evidence of it. There's only a few syllables that pop out of their mouths. And then seldom that. They're talking about the world. They're in love with the world. There's this frightening range. And we want to place ourselves at one end of that range. We want to put ourselves at the end of that range with those who truly love God with all their hearts, mind, soul, and strength. Lord, help us there. By nature, we're haters of God. Romans 1.30 says that by nature all men are haters of God. But God has changed our natures and given us a new nature. And He's given us a nature that knows the love of God toward us, and we ought to return that love toward Him. And brethren, that range is frightening. And that range is risky and dangerous because we live in a time where Christians have become lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. You have heard these words a hundred times, and you'll hear hear them a hundred more times, God helping me. We have a prophetic warning in the Bible that we will be tempted to be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. We have been told that the, the majority of Christians will fall into this category. We must fight that Emphasis, we must fight that weakness with all our might. Every pleasure that we get out of life, we need to guard it, restrain it, limit it, give thanks to God for it, put it in its proper place, and make it serve our love of God, and not let our love of God simply be a secondary leftover for our love of pleasure. Whatever it is in your life, hey, we're starting the NFL season. Is it the NFL? We started a new semester in school. Is it school? Some of you have had babies this year. Is it a baby? One of you is expecting, or more, one of you is expecting a baby. Is it a baby? What is it? 
Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. There's a thousand of them. And they try to cheat us and steal from us our affection toward God when they should all be little servants helping us love God. If they're things that He has given. I have the same flesh that you have. But I want us to fight. And if we're going to go down, let's go down with the fight. But the Lord will lift us up if we fight. And what we want to fight is against this weakness of modern Christianity to be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Our great desire and the great affection of our soul and the thing we talk about the most and where we delight the most should be God and His Son Jesus Christ and His Word. But sin dulls us. Sin dulls us so that you can hardly hear what I'm saying. Or you're thinking about something else. Sin is a dulling effect on that. The Bible says this, When iniquity abounds, the love of many shall wax cold. Sometimes iniquity is abounding in a society. Sometimes we let iniquity abound in our homes. Sometimes we let iniquity abound in our habits and our lives. But when iniquity abounds, love just starts to wax cold. What was hot becomes cold, and in our path toward being cold, we're lukewarm, which is where the church of Laodicea was and was rebuked. And it's a constant daily war that we have to fight to keep from being cold, and to keep from being lukewarm, and to keep our first love. It is a daily war. And that war means we have to fight the lust of the flesh and of the world. We have to remember that we are strangers and pilgrims here. The things of this world are not our things. They're their things. We are strangers here. We are not part of them, and we are pilgrims here, meaning that we are just passing through on our way to heaven. Brethren, it's a fight that we have to put up. And I want to stir you to it this day. Oh, Lord, help us. Let us be as bold as Peter, who would say, Though all men would be offended in thee, O Lord, I'll never be offended. But let us keep our commitments. Let us love Him more than others. Let us answer the question by the Lord Jesus Christ, Lovest thou me more than these other disciples love me? And let us say, Yes, Lord, I do. Not for my glory, but for thy glory. And help me to love thee more. What does it mean to love God? In the Bible, there's two expressions used that are very close, and I don't want to even separate them for your benefit today. The fear of God and the love of God. They're the same thing. The fear of God is to have such a reverential awe of God that you do not want to do anything to displease Him, but you want to do everything in your power to keep His commandments and to bring delight to Him. That is the fear of God. It's to depart from iniquity and to do righteousness to please God. But if you define love, you end up at the same place. You love God because you want to bring Him delight by doing those things that please Him rather than those things that offend Him. So you end up at the same place. Now once I put the love of God and the fear of God together, you know that the whole Bible addresses them both over and over. Therefore, this subject is of great importance in the Bible. Therefore, we need to pay careful attention to what we see and hear today. Loving God is doing all we can in thought, word, and deed to give Him glory and happiness. How happy is God with you? Does God delight in you? God was happy with David. When David wanted to build God a permanent temple, when God was dwelling in a set of curtains, as the Bible says, that was a wonderful thing that David came up with. And the Lord said, I never mentioned this. I've never complained about being in a tent. What brought this into your mind? The Lord was so pleased with David wanting to go above and beyond the bare minimum or to go above and beyond what other great men were doing, he said, I'm going to build you a house. And I'm going to establish your throne forever and ever. And your son will sit on your throne forever. Because the Lord was pleased with David. He couldn't... The way that it's described in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is he could hardly believe that a man had come up with such an idea and wanted to glorify him far above all that had been written in the Bible. You know, there's pages and pages in the Bible of all the details of building the tabernacle according to the pattern that Moses saw in Mount Sinai. But David didn't worry about that. David went beyond that. David wanted to give him something greater than that. And we should. We should want to give him our best. 
We should want Him to know from our hearts that we love Him and delight in Him. And that if everything else was ripped away and we had Him, we'd have everything. Loving God is delighting in Him as the object of your pleasure and the object of your pursuits above all others. Just like when we choose a spouse, we have a universe of three billion of the opposite sex. But we single out one that the Lord providentially brings along in our path. At the right time, when we're looking for someone to love and to marry, the Lord brings along that person, and we set our affection on them, and they become our pursuit, and they become our delight and pleasure. And it's, it's the same way with God. And I want to tell you something. It's the Lord that makes the comparison between lovers in time and a spouse in time and himself. And he does it over and over and over because it makes it simple for us to measure how we treat God compared to how we know we ought to treat a person that we love on earth. And it also serves this useful benefit. That when we are neglecting God or flirting with God's enemies, it is as if we are committing adultery against the person that we love on earth. So the Lord gets a two-edged sword out of His Word, like He often does, by this comparison. But the first, what is it to love God? To love God is to make Him the delight of your soul. To make Him the object of your affection, and to make Him the object of your pursuits and efforts and money and time, just like you have someone that you loved here in this world and that you ended up marrying, hopefully. But there's another aspect of it. Loving God is seeking His great pleasure by your eager faithfulness to please Him in all things. First of all, we make God our pleasure. But we also make ourselves God's pleasure. Just like when we love someone, we make them our pleasure. I want to be with them all the time. My parents remember that well from when I was 17 and 18 years old. And there was a little girl down the street named Sherry. I want to be with her all the time. That's one aspect of it. We want to be with God all the time because He's the delight of our souls. Prayer is not a chore. Prayer is a privilege. Reading is not a chore. Reading is a pleasure. Because this is God writing to you. But then, I wanted to do anything I could to please that little girl down the street. If it was to pick a wildflower on the way from my house to her house and call it a flower... Oh, she would tell me that it was the most beautiful flower ever picked. And I would rejoice that my weed had been delighted in by her. But the second aspect of love is to make ourselves pleasing to God. So that God is happy with us. And that we bring pleasure to Him and He delights in us because of the faithfulness that we give Him in doing those things that please Him. I hope I've made both aspects clear. Is God your pleasure? Are you God's pleasure? It's how we love a person. It's how we seduce them. It's how we win them. It's how we show them our affection. We make them our pleasure. And we make sure that we are their pleasure. And the comparison could go on and on. There are so many verses in the Bible to this effect. Look at Psalm 44 and verse 8. There are so many. Let me just mention a few. As you're turning to Psalm 44, let me ask you a question about Joseph. When Joseph was in Mrs. Potiphar's arms, why did he say he couldn't do anything with her and he wouldn't do anything with her? Because he said, how can I commit this great sin against God? Though you may be desirable, Mrs. Potiphar, though you may be attractive and though you may be throwing yourself at me, how can I displease my God in heaven? See, Joseph's love for God was greater than his love of the flesh. His love of God in heaven was greater than any temptation that woman could throw at him. And he's a great example for us. See, he was making sure that he was God's pleasure. Because he wouldn't want to displease God. There's the one side of love. Here's another side of it. Psalm 44 and verse 8. In God we boast... 
all the day long and praise thy name forever. This is making God your pleasure because you want to praise him and boast in him of all the great things he has done. To get together with another brother and talk about what great things God has done in the Bible or what great things God has done in our lives is a precious thing. That's making God your pleasure. But we also want to be God's pleasure. I just want to keep you reminded of both sides of this. And when we love someone, we do the same thing. We make them our pleasure. Every little thing about a person that we love, we remember, we take home, we want mementos. We have a little box. We have a little drawer. We have a little little things because we, we delight in that person. We like to remember them. We take pictures. We want pictures. We want notes. We want letters. Because to have their words is very precious to us. Because we're delighting in them. And look what God's given us. He's given us His Word. Amen. Do you delight in every word of it? Every word of it is from Amen. God to you. Amen. Is God your great pleasure? Then, we want to do everything we can to please God or to please that other person. Are you very conscious about wanting to do those things that please God? Just as you were conscious to want to please another person. When we love someone, we want to learn everything we can about them in order to please them in all things. We ask their opinions over and over. What is your favorite? What is your favorite? What do you really like to do? What would you like to do today? We want to know as much as we can about that person so we can please them. But God's already told us. We hardly need to ask God what pleases Him because we've got the Bible. He's put it in writing for us. Right. Oh, how nice that would be if an object of your love would put it in writing exactly what you ought to do in all respects in order to please them. Well, the Lord's done it. We're very perceptive and we're very flexible to receive correction in order to please in all things. Jonathan, when you come over for supper with my parents, would you please stop wearing that ratty t-shirt and that greasy baseball hat backwards? I never did either. But let's just use me for an example instead of me using you. You know, all I need to be... My parents don't really get excited about you wearing your hat backwards while you're eating supper at their table in their house and wearing that ratty t-shirt. You know, to know that, I'm, I'm embarrassed. If I, lo- if I love, I'm embarrassed. Right. You know, if you're a fool, you don't care what anybody thinks. You're a fool, and nobody really loves you or respects you anyway, so we're not talking about that. We're talking about someone who loves another person and is willing to adjust for that person to please them. And so you rip that stupid hat off, you burn it in the trash, you get rid of that ratty t-shirt, and you get a nice collared shirt, you button down, and so you're presentable to her parents because you want to please her. God has told us all these things. How flexible, how, how humble are we when we read God's Word and He says something that we're doing is wrong? Do we say, I'm, I'm glad, thank you for pointing that out. You know, thank you for pointing out that those things are offensive. We, we, would, we would thank a person, but the Lord's already told us. What are we like when we come across something in God's Word and it corrects us? Do we want to change that immediately so that we can be more pleasing to God? That is loving God. That is how we love others, and that is loving God. If we're told something, and then we don't do it, how is that loving God? If a young lady was to tell a young man, I need you to do this to please my parents, and I would like you to do it, and we don't do it, what are you saying to the young lady? You don't love her. You're too proud to love somebody. You're too proud to care about anybody else's feelings. And that's the same way it is when we come to God's Word and we don't quickly humble ourselves before it, confess our faults and do exactly what the Bible says. That's why we look into God's mirror and we see the baseball hat on backwards and the ratty t-shirt in God's Word. And the Bible says we put the mirror down and we go off to our dinner anyway with God and we displease Him. But the mirror is to tell us, get the hat off and get a real shirt on. And we should do that. And the Lord gives us these comparisons for us to make it as simple as possible for our simple minds to understand. Usually when we love someone, there's few things that can get in the way of our money, our time, and our effort to show them our affection. That's first love. 
You don't promise somebody that you love that you're getting off work early on Friday afternoon. And as soon as you get off work, you're going to be home with, you're going to come by to see them. And then you, you volunteer for some overtime. And then after the overtime, you go for a drive. And after the drive, you sit and watch some baseball game on television. And then finally you call the person at 8 o'clock that night and say, Hey, how are you doing? I thought you were going to come by and see me afternoon. Well, I got tied up. What happened? I volunteered for some overtime and I wanted to go for a drive with Bima myself and I wanted to go see a baseball game and that person should reflect on that and be offended. Okay. We get into the house of God and we hear the Word of God and the Spirit convicts us. And we say within our hearts, Lord, I'm going to give you more time because you deserve more time. I ought to give you more time. And we go out of here and we don't give Him that time. We do the same thing toward the Lord. Let this comparison chase us every day of our lives because the Lord uses it from cover to cover in His Word. Cover to cover. Every word that's exchanged between lovers is precious. They bring such joy to the heart. We call it pitter-patter. It brings joy. We write them down. We want notes. Could you put that in writing? We don't say it quite that way. But we like it in writing. We like pictures. Because we want to be able to lay hold of what they said and what they look like. Every word is every word of God is precious to you. Our waking actions and our sleeping thoughts are centered and focused on this person. Are our waking actions and our sleeping thoughts centered and focused on the God of heaven? Who are you thinking about in bed? David tells us who we ought to be thinking about in bed if we're to be anything like David. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own hearts upon your bed and be still. Selah. Psalm 4.4 Your bed is a great place to talk to God and to be close to Him. There's, there's fewer interruptions there than anywhere else during your day. When you're in love with someone on earth, you're thinking about it. When you're in love with something on earth, you're thinking about it. And bed's often a place where you're thinking about it. But it ought to be the Lord. It ought to be the Lord, and that's how we measure. How much do you love God? The question is, how much do you love God? And we want to ask ourselves, how much is He my pleasure... That's a definition of love. How much am I His pleasure? That's a definition of love. Here in Psalm 44 and verse 8, in God we boast all the day long. Is God your boast? Is that who you want to talk about? He's the greatest. When a woman says things like that about a man, it's very, very pleasant to hear them. But are we saying them about the Lord? It's part of our love of Him. He's the greatest. And oh, is He the greatest? Indeed He is. Look at Psalm 104. Psalm 104, just one more. There's so many references to think upon our our love of God. Psalm 104 and verse 34. Have you ever been in love to where this verse could be true about you and another person? My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in this other person. Oh, we've had these experiences. We've had these feelings. We've had these relationships. But this is of the Lord. Psalm 104, 34. My meditation of Him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Do you meditate upon God and find sweetness there? Do you seek sweetness there? Do you know that meditating upon Him can bring sweetness? It does bring sweetness if you love Him. My meditation of Him shall be sweet. Because you know that. I will be glad in the Lord. This is making the Lord the object of our pleasure. This verse. Then we can go to a verse like 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31, where it tells us how to make ourselves God's pleasure. Loving God. Is God the greatest pleasure in my life? Is He the most exciting thing in my life? The most exciting object of, of my life? The most pleasant pursuit of my life is to get to know God better. Is that true of you? Is it truer today than a year ago? If it's not, that's why we're having the sermon. 
If it's not as true of you as it is of others, that's why we're having the sermon. It ought to be the most important thing to our lives. I must prepare you to meet Him. When you meet Him, you're going to be ashamed if you have let anything else encroach upon your love of Him. Look at 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. That's making ourselves God's pleasure. That is living in such a way that we bring happiness to Him. We bring glory to Him whether we're eating, whether we're drinking, or whatever we're doing. We are doing it to the glory of God. Loving God is loving His words. You want to see what a man talks like when he loves the words of God? Look at Job 23. Job 23. You know, some of you should know the verse. Job 23. You know, there's verses that we know very well, like Psalm 19.10, where it says that God's words are sweeter than honey in the honeycomb to us, and they're more valuable than much fine gold. Is that true? If we love God, His words will be that dear to us. When we love someone else, and we truly love them, their words become very dear to us. We love to hear the words, I love you. Well, God has said, I love you, about a thousand times in this book. And He shows it on every page. And He backed it up with giving a little tiny bit to show that He was sincere. And He's never gone back on it. He sent His Son. I think that's a lot of love. Amen. The Bible tells us it's a lot of love. Oh, Lord, help us. Look at Job in Job 23:12. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. When God told Job to do something, Job wanted to do it. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. We, we get, a, we get a, a hankering and an urging and a need for food. But Job said, I've esteemed his words more important than my necessary food. I always have this aching to know the words of God. I have this urge to know the words of God. This is the love of God. We love the words of a person that we love. We should love the words of God if we love Him. How much do you love God? Right. I'm asking you in the place of God Himself. Because He's asking all of us through His Word. How much do you love God? It can be shown by your love of His words. These words are written so uniquely by the Spirit of the infinite God that He can address your soul personally Intimately, even though he's addressing mine personally and intimately at the same time. That's because he's God. He's able to do that. And you sh when you read the Bible, you should read it as a book written to you. It's precious. Amen. You should latch on every word. Right. And Job tells us that he did. Because loving God is loving his words. So many... One more verse. Look at Jeremiah. You want to see if Jeremiah loved God? How do you know if a person loves God? How much do they love His Word? How much do they want to read it? How much do they want to talk about it? How much do they want to memorize it? How much do they delight in it? How much do they want to share it? How much do they want to be where it's preached? How much do they want to be where it's being talked about? How much do they want to sing it? If you love someone, you love their words. I can't help it. And the Bible tells us that. And you know it to be a fact. Jeremiah 15, verse 16. Look at this. This is Jeremiah. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. There's Jeremiah. His name did include the name of God, but he was called by God's name in ways more than that. But Jeremiah took the Word of God as his special words from the Lord. And they were the joy and the rejoicing of his heart. I am generally a pretty enthusiastic person. I can get excited about things. I can have joy and rejoice about things. And what I want this sermon to do for you that I want it to do for me is to make sure that whenever I'm getting joy or rejoicing out of anything but the Lord, that it is in its proper place and it's subordinate and secondary and inferior to my joy and rejoicing in God. Because that's one way I measure myself. I don't want to get too excited about things of this world. 
I want to be excited about things of the other world. I don't want to be too excited about anyone in this world. I want to be excited about Him in the other world. Because who do I really have? It's the Lord. He is my portion, according to Psalm 73. Asaph understood that, and that's what I want for you to do. Look at the joy and the rejoicing of Jeremiah's heart. It was with the Word of God. Do you get joy and rejoicing out of the Bible? Preaching should be a pleasant delight to your soul to have you being directed by someone to turn to verses, having a sense given to them, having them tied together so that you can get God's will for your life from the words of God. Is it the joy and rejoicing of your heart? Loving God is loving His words. Look at Psalm 77. Loving God is loving His works. Oh, yes. You know, to be a, to, to have played high school athletics or any other form of athletics and to have performed on the field and to have had in the stands or standing at the fence because they didn't want to be as far away as the stands, somebody that you loved or loved you was a great pleasure. You know, as soon as you finished with someone that loves you, even though your performance might not have been as good as you would like it to have been, the little girl would use superlatives about your performance that you knew weren't true, but you sure didn't want her to stop. You enjoyed every second of it. This is what we give the Lord. He's done a few big things. I hope you're offended by my choice of words. He's done an infinite number of stupendous, infinite things that cannot be searched out and understood. And we should be delighting in Him and telling Him, that is awesome. And we should be telling it to others as well. That lifts our hearts up. That's delighting in God's works. Loving God includes loving His works. Look at Psalm 77. I'll read a few words to you. Beginning in verse 10. I said... David's a little discouraged here. Well, one of the ways to get out of discouragement is to consider his works. I said, this is my infirmity. Psalm 77, 10. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. Remember, the right hand is your strong hand. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely, I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy works and talk. Of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Look at these verses. I'll remember them. I'll meditate on them. And I'll talk about them. And I'll go into the sanctuary where I can see them. And I'll think about the wonders that you have done. God did His wonders to be praised for them. He didn't need a blue ball that's 8,000 miles in diameter and 24,000 in circumference that's 70% water hanging in the sky for Himself. He did that so we see pictures of it. We tell God, that is great. That's a big basketball. And you've got it spinning and it's been spinning for thousands of years. And it's blue instead of orange. Lord, you're wonderful. When you see an ostrich, Lord, that is decent. Its head's about one hundredth of its body because you didn't put a brain up there. Lord, I love the horse. Lord, I love your salvation. Lord, I love your people. Lord, I love your Bible. Lord, I love the flood. Lord, I love the sunrise. Lord, I love the sunset. I love the stars. Lord, you're great. That's loving the Lord because you're loving His works. You're remembering them, you're meditating on them, and you're talking about them. And you're discouraged? Start talking about the Lord. Listen, if we talk about our works or we think about our works, we're going to get discouraged because all of our works are worthless. All of them combined together and squared don't amount to anything. But He's able to do great works and He's done them of old. Loving God is loving His character. Look at Micah 7, verse 18. Micah, chapter 7. Ordinarily, we might go to Jeremiah, chapter 9, where the Lord says that you ought to glory in the fact that you know Him and that He loves three things, loving kindness, judgment, and mercy in the earth. 
Because he says, in these three things I delight. And we ought to glory in the fact that we know that he delights in those three things because that's delighting in him. And when we're delighting in him, we love him. He is a great God. We love him by loving his words because he has written such precious things to us of all sorts. There's poetry in here. There's songs in here. There's history. There's theological debates. There's apocalyptic warnings. There's Proverbs. It's precious. What a book. Micah 7, verse 18. I hope you found that book. Micah 7, verse 18. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. Do you want to know a few things about God? This verse tells us. He pardons iniquity. He passes by the transgression of the remnant of his people that are left. He doesn't retain his anger forever because he gets rid of it. And he delights in mercy. Those four things about God, you should delight in his character. Loving God is loving his character. Our God is magnificent. He doesn't retain his anger. When somebody's angry at you, do you know what you want to have happen? You want their anger to dissipate and go away. You hope that in the morning they're not going to be angry with you. Well, God doesn't hold His anger. That should excite you. You should be thankful for that. And loving Him is delighting in that. As the text right here tells us, as the prophet praises God for His character. Do you love His kingdom? Look at Psalm 84 and verse 10. If you love God, you're going to love His kingdom. You're going to love His church. You're going to love His saints. You're going to love His ministers. You're going to be praying for them. You're not, you don't care where you meet a saint. You're going to want to encourage them whether it's from New Zealand or right here in your own backyard. Because if you love God, you're going to love God's kingdom. Here's how David would put it. Psalm 84, verse 1. How amiable, how pleasant and delightful are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! Exclamation point. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. If you love God, you'll love His house. You'll want to be in His assemblies. You'll want to be in His worship. The Bible tells us this. This is David loving God by loving His house. Look at verse 10. A day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be one day with you, Lord, in your house than a thousand days anywhere else. That is a good, that's a good ratio. That's a good proportion for us to lay hold of. That one day with the Lord is better than a thousand days doing anything else. Is your love of God 1,000 times everything else you love in life? Is how I'm asking the question. How the Lord's asking the question to all of us. That's a good question, Lord. Is my love of you 1,000 times greater than my love of anything, any activity, any object, any person? How much do you love God? David set a high standard for us. He goes on to say, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Rather than having a huge spread for himself, he'd rather be a doorkeeper in God's house. It doesn't matter your position. You just want to be near the Lord. Do you remember the young man Joshua? When he went into the tabernacle, Moses went into the tabernacle to meet God face to face. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11, Moses went in with him. When Joshua went in with him, forgive me. When Moses was done talking to the Lord and left, Joshua wouldn't leave. <laughs> he wanted to stay right in there where he had seen Moses talking face to face with God. Okay, here's where we've got to go today. We think on all these things. We hear all these words. We, re- we see these verses. I hope that we're saying in our hearts, I could love God more. Why don't I love God more than I do? Why don't I love God more than I did five years ago? Why don't I love God more than others that I know love God more than I do right now? What has happened? What is wrong? You have let the things of this world steal your affection away from God. You have not fed yourself with the Word of God and prayer and the Spirit of God enough. You have deprived your new man of his sustenance 
And that's the Word of God and prayer and fellowship with the Spirit of God. You've deprived that new man so he's weak and scrawny. He has suffered atrophy. It's catabolic. Don't worry. It's catabolic if you don't feed the new man. While at the same time you've been anabolic with your flesh. Too much time reading the things of the world, around the people of the world, the entertainment of the world. And so that has built your old man up. And the old man is a hater of God. The new man is a lover of God. Your new man is now catabolic. It's, been, his mus, mus, it's suffering atrophy of its muscles and strength. The old man that hates God is stronger. And so it wins in your life. And that's the situation that you have put yourself in by the various inputs, whether it's television, whether it's reading, whether it's music, whether it's friends. All those inputs, if we feed our old man, it hates God. And so eventually... The Apostle Paul would say, if you don't take heed to yourself, you will depart from the living God because of the deceitfulness of sin. You'll never really know it unless, you, unless the Lord is coming after you and chastening you with conviction. You'll never really know it. Hebrews three twelve and 13 says that through the deceitfulness of sin, we are capable of departing from the living God. We forget him. He's not important to us. All of a sudden we're dull and cold. When you get into this house, like this morning, and the singing and the preaching and the praying and the reading of God's Word is kind of, is just kind of dull to you, and you're just not, it just doesn't, just doesn't excite you very much. It's not the fault of God's Word and it's not the fault of His Spirit. It's your fault. You have fed the old man too much and starved the new man too much. Therefore, you've got this old man that's pretty much reigning in your life. He's ruling in your life. And he hates God. He hates the things of God. So the combination to your overall mind is one of perplexity, or it's one of just dead dullness, or it's one of frustration, and I hope it's one of conviction. I hope your mind is convicted. I'm dull toward the Lord. Lord, revive me again. Lord, stir me up again to love you like I should. Lord, search me and know me, the verses I started out with, and show me what I'm doing in my life that is feeding my old man and taking away my love for you. Show me what idols I have in my heart that are more important to me than you. Show me that what I love that encroaches upon my love for you. Show me, and I will get rid of it. I will put it in its proper place. I will sacrifice it for you so that I can have that first love back and love you like I should. Oh, Lord, help me circumcise my heart, incline my heart unto thy ways, incline my heart away from covetousness, turn my heart away from this world, make me to go in the way of thy commandments that I might please you, that I might be that object that you find pleasant and happy for yourself and that you delight in, and that you might be the object of my pursuits. Lord, help me. It's a prayer. It's a confession. It's begging God for restoration. Revelation 2.5. Don't turn. Listen. Jesus Christ, the Lord in glory, appeared and gave this word to the church at Ephesus. I know you. I know your works. They're commendable. I know your faithfulness. It's commendable. I know your doctrine. It's commendable. I know that you have tried those that say they are apostles and found some to be liars. Commendable. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. What did he have against such a good church? A church where Paul had spent a couple of years, a church that he commended so highly? You've lost your first love. I have somewhat against thee. You have lost your first love. And if you don't get that first love back, I am going to come and take my candlestick out of the church of Ephesus, and you will be a congregation of the dead. Because when the Spirit leaves a body, it's a corpse. And when the Spirit is taken away from a church, it's the congregation of the dead. And when the Lord withdraws His Spirit from you, you are the walking dead. You are a zombie. A spiritual zombie. So what's the remedy? We've been over this many times before, but I'm praying that God the Holy Spirit will cause you to think upon these things and to do them today, whether you've heard them and done them in the past or not. It doesn't matter. Here is the advice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Three steps. Remember from whence thou art fallen. 
I'm telling you that you don't have your first love toward me. Therefore, I ask you to remember from whence thou art fallen. Go back and compare yourself to how you loved me in times past. Make the comparison. Remember from whence thou art fallen. Remember what it used to be like with me. Remember the joy and the rejoicing of your heart that you used to have. Remember. Repent for letting it slip. Repent for letting it slip. Do the first works. Go back and do those things you did in the beginning when you were in love with me. This is as true for marital advice as it is for walking with God. Remember what it used to be like. Repent for letting it slip from that. And go back and start doing the first works all over again. When you were the most in love with Christ, you were in His Word. You wanted to get away and get in His Word. You loved reading the Bible. Prayer was a delight to you. You loved talking about the Lord. You loved being with those who were talking about the Lord. Go back and do those first things again. Remember that you've fallen. Repent for letting it fall. And start doing those first works again. Change today. Change today. Change something in your life today. Give up something today for the Lord's sake. Go back to the way it used to be. If you're deeply in the flesh and you have, and you have really given steroids to the old man, oh, you don't want to hear that. And the thought of it sounds horrible. But if there is a spirit in you that loves God, I'm praying for the spirit of the living God to assist your spirit and to take a leap of faith and to do exactly what we just said. Remember, repent, and do the first works. May God bless you in the doing.